Welcome to the podcast, Biblical Question. We are excited you've taken time out of your day to listen to our podcast. For more information about us, you may visit our website at biblicalquestion.com. We will tell you the web address again at the show's end. We encourage you to open your Bible and follow along as we study the Bible. Now here is your host, Joseph. Well, hello there. Thank you for the introduction. I'm glad that you've taken time out of your day to download our podcast and to listen to us. We certainly hope and pray that Christ would be glorified. You as our listeners would be edified. As the young lady said, I would encourage you to go to our webpage, check us out. We have a statement of faith there, prayer request, and so on. Uh, we've been really challenged here in the last couple of months trying to keep the podcast going and the webpage up. And we would really ask if you could help that you would uh, search your heart and pray about it. Ask your congregations to help. Uh, there's ways of doing that in uh, our webpage there on the support page. So uh, we've tried really hard not to beg for money, <laughs> but we're, we're really needing help to keep things going. Today we're going to talk about first fruits. First fruits is probably the least known of the seven feasts that Israel would uh, perform or practice or observe, depending on how you want to view it or look at it. And we're going to be in Leviticus uh, chapter 23 here in just a moment. Leviticus chapter 3 in just a moment. Do you enjoy our weekly podcast? Though many of our listeners around the world in poverty-stricken nations are not financially able to support our podcast, if you are able, we would be grateful for your help. We offer several ways to help support the podcast on our website, biblicalquestion.com. Would you be in a prayerful consideration in your cheerful donation or purchasing through one of our affiliates? Thank you for cheerfully helping us tell a worldwide audience about the Word of God. Back, and I hope that you found your Bible and that you will open it and follow along. We're going to be again, we're in Leviticus chapter 23. So as we were saying right before the break, uh, this is probably the least known of the seven feasts that Israel uh, observed or celebrated. Uh, God's deliverance uh, from Babylon, uh, from Haman's plot, uh, they celebrated uh, Purim, P-U-R-I-M, uh, Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights, Feast of Lights would be where Jesus would say, uh, I am the light of the world. That's what he would be celebrating. They would have all the city of Jerusalem lit up. Uh, they basically were celebrating where uh, Judas Maccabees would defeat the Greek forces and uh, and run them out of the area. And so there's others as well they, uh, they did. so. But it isn't no wonder that you really haven't heard about it. This would be the third feast that God would ordain for Israel to keep. And what is really fascinating is that this feast, while it is the least known as seven, is actually, I think, one of the greatest of all of them, and perhaps the most important. Uh, and that's really what I want to share with you today. So bear with me here. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 23. I'll be reading from the New American Standard, if you will follow along. Starting in verse 10. Speak to the sons of Israel, this is God talking to Moses, and say to them, when you enter the land which I am going to give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring it uh, to the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. 
he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. On that day, after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now, verse 12, on that day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, one year old, without defect for the burning of the offering to the Lord. It is a grain offering, and it shall be two-tenths of an ephod, a fine flour mixed with oil, and the offering by fire to the Lord for soothing aroma with its drink offering, a fourth of wine. So, reading here verse 14, Until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your Lord your God, you shall eat neither bread nor roast grain or new growth. It is to be a perpetual statue throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. So, again, this was to be offered up uh, during the seven-day period, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that would be the first day of the week, which is on a Sunday. So that day is really never fixed. It's like Passover, which is on the 14th day, or Unleavened Bread, which is held on the 15th day until the 21st day. This feast is actually a celebration of the harvest that God had helped them bring in, in the spring, uh, a barley harvest, which was a sheep, and it would be brought to the temple for an offering because as with everything, it all belongs to God. We have this misconception today that everything I work for uh, is for me, but that's really not necessarily a biblical uh, view. Again, notice verse 14, You shall eat neither bread nor grain nor fresh grain until the same day which you have brought an offering to your God. Uh, only then could they partake in this harvest. Now, there's one thing about this feast and the offering it was to be presented. That is the firstborn lamb. Uh, from that year, it was to be offered a male lamb born uh, without a spot or blemish. And so, if you're not really catching on yet, I'll probably get more into this. The celebration of uh, first fruits is what we would call Easter Sunday. And I really want to plant that seed with you. Um, there is nothing by accident, I don't think, with, with the Bible, with God's plan. Jesus is our first fruit. We'll get into more of that here after a bit. So, However, since the destruction in the temple uh, since 70 A.D., the way of offering really cannot really be presented as well as a lamb. So today within the Jewish faith, it is primarily accomplished through prayers and reflections on what is considered to be the symbolic significance of this day, in which really Judaism uh, is the acknowledgement that God is the one who has redeemed Israel from their Egypt bondage and the expression and gratitude to God for bringing them into the promised land. It is also the day when the 49th day, seven Sabbaths, notice in verse 15, begins the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, uh, the fourth major feast of Israel. For us, this feast is quite telling. It helps us understand our relationship with God 
in what God has provided for us. He gave us his first and his best. What we see in this feast is that what is being offered to God with both first and best is being brought out in the name itself, first fruit. However, it's it's being the best is brought out earlier in Leviticus, you know, notice in verse 20 when the Lord said to Moses, Whatever has a defect, he shall not offer, uh, nor shall it be acceptable uh, on your behalf. And so, further, being the best indicates that it all belongs to God. In Psalm 24, verse 1, the writer says, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world of those who dwell therein. And so, again, as we see in this feast, it all belongs to God. And here what the psalmist says, if you notice, this includes all of us. God has first claims on everything that we have and everything that we are. The Apostle Paul brought this out to, in his letter to the church in Rome, saying in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brother, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is reasonable service. Like the children of Israel, we are to offer up to God not only our first that would be a tithe, but also ourselves in those living sacrifices completely devoted to Christ. And, and that's because he gave us the first and the best. He gave us his son, Jesus, the first begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 14. Now, that word begotten... Uh, you know, really, there's a lot of controversy over it, and uh, a lot of the newer versions do not carry that. And that's in reading that from the King James, the New King James, actually. And so, if we would look at uh, the New American Standard in John chapter uh, 1, verse 14, if you turn there with me real quick, says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory as the only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth. So, uh, this is a, a word that, that is Jesus. It is preeminent over all things which John spells out in his gospel about who Jesus is and who he was and his purpose, his gospel message, how everything was actually created, created by Jesus for Jesus. So uh, Jesus has to be God because there's only one God and he's God in the flesh. Not only was Jesus the first, but also the best, and he was without defect. He was without sin, and therefore he was the perfect offering. We are to follow in Jesus' footsteps. We are to offer our very best of ourselves to God in our service to Him. So not only was this feast of fruit, uh, first fruits a future promise made by God to the Israelites and their entrance and the possession of the promised land, 
But it was also the future promise and the continued provisions for them, spiritually speaking. This feast focuses on the future, not what has happened in the past. I can just imagine the Lord's feeling what he's feeling like, uh, what could have he done, and yet this, these people, I mean, they still didn't believe in the future for them, that he had planned for them. He had delivered them from 400 years of bondage. They had sit there and watched powerful plagues, 10 of them, um, that would finally free them, and they were able to walk out of Egypt. How they had food to eat, manna, and they got water, or, you know, out of a rock, which also symbolizes Christ. How he opens up the sea, they walk through on dry land, and the entire Egyptian army is gone. And so they are still in this promised land, and they still don't believe God's promise of protection. But also this provision, which is the Feast of Fruits, which was really what this is all about. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, there was something that was going to be, God's going to promise them through the prophet uh, Jeremiah. For I know your thoughts, and I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So this feast is like that of Passover and unleavened bread. It is, it is directly a reference to the coming Messiah, Jesus himself. And it is a fulfillment in this feast that there is to celebrate. And we see this in several areas. Not only have we referenced the very best uh, in the future hope, but a direct reference to the resurrection itself. And so... This first fruits from the dead, this idea uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verses 20 through 23, and here's the Apostle Paul. He's making this argument to the church in Corinth. Uh, you know, they are a Gentile church. So, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam... All die, even and so in Christ shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ in his coming. So the children of Israel were, were to bring their first fruits of their harvest, along with the first male lamb born uh, that year without defect. So it was that Jesus the Lamb of God rose from the dead on the same day. That is, the first day of the week within this Feast of Unleavened Bread. So, as the people are offering up their first fruits at the temple, Jesus becomes this feast fulfillment by rising from the dead. He, he walks out of that tomb. And that is the day, like I said earlier, that we celebrate uh, traditionally called Easter, that is, life from the dead. And this is the very concept that came from no, no less than from Jesus himself. Notice what Jesus says here in John chapter 12, verse 24. 
I say unto you, lest a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it pr- produces much grain. And so it was that Jesus died on Passover. He was bur- buried uh, on un- unleavened bread, and he was raised to life on first fruits. Jesus even references Revelation. He, he gives this to the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I had the keys of Hades and of death. Because he rose from the dead and its first fruits from the dead, he now has the keys to death and hell, our future in him and thus heaven is assured. You can know that you have your salvation if you are walking in the light of Christ. And notice again here the Apostle Paul back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says that Jesus became the first fruits of those who have died. And since Jesus was first, it implies there's a second, a third, and a fourth. And so on. And so Jesus is, is the fulfillment of the feast. And it means that all who believe in him, all who come to him, all who accept the gospel message, and that Jesus really did come out of that grave. He was dead, and now he's alive. This is our example. Notice again here, what is seen here when Paul presents this uh, evidence to the church in Corinth. In verse 23, but each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming, who are Christ at his coming, excuse me. So again, therefore, all who believe it will experience a similar resurrection from the dead. And please try to understand, this is not just a New Testament concept. It is found... Uh, throughout God's Word. I mean, Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 26, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know in my flesh, I shall see God. King David would say it in Psalm chapter 16, verses 9 and 10, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices my flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in shell but you will allow your holy one not to see corruption so king david said uh, that just as the father would not allow his son jesus the messiah the holy one to see corruption at death but raise him from the dead He would not allow our bodies to remain in the grave. And that should be hope for all of us as Christians. We have also what the prophet Isaiah said here. I know I've read a lot of verses here. Uh, I would encourage you to take notes always or back up and listen and get those and reference them in your own Bible. Uh, Isaiah 26 verse 19 Your dead shall live together with my dead body, 
shall then arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. So those who are children of God, those who believe and follow Jesus as their Savior, uh, believe the entire Bible, believe that Jesus is who he says he is, washed in the blood, will rise from the dead and live. And this is the symbolic symbol that we have through baptism as well. All who believe will rise from the grave, a brand new body. I don't know about you, but I think that would be pretty nice. My body's starting to break down. And so it's going to be transformed into this likeness of Jesus' body, our first fruits from the dead. Luke 24, verses 38 and 39. Look here again what Jesus says to his disciples after his resurrection. Why are you troubled? And why do you doubt arise in your hearts? Why does doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is me, it's myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. This leads me to believe that, to this last question, is that what does Jesus as our first fruits? What does his resurrection mean for me and you today? And I like to try to answer this. I want to go back here with Paul again to 1 Corinthians 15. I know there's uh, several groups out there that like to use 1 Corinthians 15 uh, to twist a little bit to teach that you can baptize for the dead and different things. Uh, I think it's way out of context. But... Uh, Verses 15, uh, 16 through 19 says, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. It is this only we have hope in Christ. And we are of all men the most pitiful. Yeah, you know, in other words, Paul is saying, if the gospel message that you and I have believed in and follow is not true, shame on us. I mean, we're, we're just, it's just terrible. We, we have believed in a lie or a deception. And so we need to know that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And this idea for the dead do not rise and Christ is not risen, uh, this idea that you can baptize the dead for the dead is where this comes from, uh, this teaching out of this verse. Again, it's way out of context. I believe it's just talking about you and me. Uh, before we became true followers of Christ, uh, we're dead. We were spiritually dead. And we rose up, up of the baptistry into a new life. We became alive. So changing the meaning of faith here, I think there's several important aspects here. Again, in verse 17, uh, as Paul says, if Christ isn't risen, then your faith is futile. The question is, we can trust Jesus and we can place our trust in him. That Jesus rose from the dead, just as he said he would, just as he told the religious Jewish leaders of the day, destroy this temple 
In three days I will rise it up. And he's speaking of his body. That's in John chapter 2. And since Jesus rose from the dead, as he promised, as he said he would, then we can trust, we can have this faith. What is faith? Well, if you listen to me long enough, you know my definition is uh, the object or thing believed in. And I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can go to the Father except through him. John 14, verse 6. I mean, again, we need to know as, as followers of Christ, there is only one way. And that is through Christ Jesus. There is no substitutes. Uh, there is no multiple paths. One way. Only one way. And I know that's not real... Uh, political correct to say, uh, and do I believe other people have the right to believe what they want? Yeah, of course. God gives them that right. Uh, there are just consequences to it. So we need to understand that Jesus is that way. And we can trust him and his promises that he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. The changing of meaning of death here is, again, back to this 1 Corinthians uh, passage we've been studying. Jesus' resurrection gives a new meaning to death, where death is not the end, because it no longer has power over us. It, death is really the beginning of eternal life. So the Apostle Paul is going to go on with his uh, argument that in verses 54 and 55, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? You know, he's quoting out of uh, the Old Testament. He's trying to make a point. When he has put on this mortal body is no longer mortal, but immortal, this changes the meaning of life. If in this only we have hope in Christ, we uh, are all men the most pitiable. You know, if the resurrection is a lie, the purpose of life is just the pursuit of pleasure. The one with the most toys wins. The one who has the most money wins. Uh, and that's just, that's just what we would be. The greatest thing that we need to be striving for is eternal life with God. We need to be serving him. We need to be helping each other uh, and encouraging each other along the way. And so notice here in verse 32, uh, Paul says, If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paying the song out of the 60s that quote that. And that's Paul saying we must live however we want to live. Uh, the law of the land wouldn't matter. The law of Christ wouldn't matter. We could just uh, eat, drink, and be merry. But he says here, you know, if Jesus rose from the dead, if the resurrection is true, then, which has been proven in really in so many ways, the historical facts uh, are there, the recordings are there. Uh, without the resurrection, life really has no meaning. And as a Christian, it, it, it's a faith without power. It's a faith without peace. If the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruit, first fruit 
from the dead. That makes our faith real, and it gives us the lies that we are living have meaning and lies that are worth dying for. Are we really willing to sacrifice our life for the gospel message? There's an old song that goes along the way. It's an old gospel song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth living just because he lives. How many of us have sung that song over the years? I think this is probably true with just about any song in the worship service. We want to be entertained and have loud music and disco lights and whatever else that goes along with it. And we're being entertained. We're not paying attention to our service. We're not paying attention to the words we are singing. They all should have meaning to us as we go through our lives. I think it is really safe to say that this feast of first fruit is truly the greatest of all feasts and that it holds the most importance because it's all about Jesus, his resurrection from the dead, proving he is and who he said he was and that he is the Lord and Savior of the world. And through his death, burial, and resurrection through this feast, we have the assurance of our own resurrection with heaven as our eternal home. No more sin, no more struggles, no more arthritis pain, no more trying to figure out how to get out of financial debt with the banker and so on. We will have total freedom in Christ. We need to look to Christ as our first fruit. And know when it's really celebrated. I think it's interesting, um, again, how these feasts are laid in with the uh, Christian celebrations. Uh, but most people don't know these historical, biblical, uh, traditional feasts that God commanded uh, them to have or they implemented uh, to celebrate so they would not forget what God had done for them, for the promises he had presented them, the promises that he had fulfilled, and so on. I would encourage you, if you've never studied out all the Jewish uh, festivals, feasts, uh, Passovers, first fruits, uh, Feast of Booze, and so I mean, there's several of them out there that they practiced over and over again. And they did so on a yearly basis. I would encourage you. I think it would help you understand the New Testament much better. Again, I want to thank you for listening. I certainly hope and pray that Christ has been glorified through this message. I hope it has edified you and encouraged you to study and want to know God's Word deeper and better to be able to help others and encourage others to be faithful as well. So many of our listeners are in persecuted nations where they are unable to send us financial support and help. And I know they pray for us. We pray for them. We pray for every listener each and every day. And again, I hope that you will tell others about us in a good, positive way. Be prayerful for us.
as we struggle to keep this uh, podcast going at times, it seems. But God is always good. He's always provided. And he's provided through listeners like you. And so please don't always rely on somebody else to, to help support this ministry. Again, may God bless you, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Be sure to hit the like button and follow us on your podcasting app. Please check out our website at biblicalquestion.com. All one word, all lowercase. In addition, we have a prayer request page, a way of contacting us, a statement of faith, and other resources for our listeners. Do you have a Bible question you would like answered on a future podcast? Or prayer request? We would be honored to hear from you and add your prayer request to our list so others may pray for you. Subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on our social media accounts. Again, that is biblicalquestion.com. Thank you and may He have the glory.